This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and a warm welcome, I'm Jake Cantor. On the show this week, victory for indies in the battle over terms of trade, Top Gear returns with a splutter and a Barbara Windsor biopic on BBC One. Also on the programme, we preview a brace of BBC Four offerings, get the verdict on Handmade by Royal Appointment and the UK's best part-time band. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. At Maple Street Studios this week, Lemonade Money director Faraz Osman and Stephen D. Wright, the founder of Kerfuffle TV. Still getting used to that, Stephen? Getting used to it. Still creating a kerfuffle wherever I go. <laughs> How's it going? So far, so good. good. Five weeks in. And are the, commissioning, are the commissioner doors open? Commissioning doors are sort of slowly creaking open. That's the, that's the fun part. Yeah. And how are you, Fraz? It's been a while. Yeah, we're all good. Uh, we are in development slash pre-production of the next series of the broadcast award-winning Four to the Floor, which is quite exciting. Nice. Uh, we've had a busy couple of months and summer's ramping up as well. So I'm trying to announce that you're doing a second series. Third they, series. Third series, sorry. We're in, we're in development, Jake. Let's in say development. We're in development. <laughs> and that's progressing well? What have you got it's in store? progressing very well, yeah. The, uh, the guys are, are busy as bees, kind of finding the best new music talent to feature. So let's move on to our first story this week, uh, which is Culture Secretary John Whittingdale's decision to leave the terms of trade untouched uh, following an Ofcom review. Pact has held the decision as a victory for the production sector, arguing that it will help the UK's television industry continue to prosper in years to come. Uh, Channel 4, on the other hand, which has been the most vocal campaigner for changes to the terms of trade, has refused to comment. So let's just start with the initial decision, shall we? Presumably you're both uh, cracking open the champagne and the party poppers have already been popped. And you know. Yeah, I mean, I, the biggest thing about this one was I never really knew why they had to be changed in the first place. I didn't understand why there was a an exploration into changing these uh, terms well, of Well, Pat's theory is that, that it was Channel 4 lobbying that Possibly. I mean, the fact that Channel 4 uh, seemed to be a little bit miffed is a bit w- worrying to me. You know, because Channel 4 of you know are one of the major sort of buyers in this market. So if they're trying to crush the producers, then that's sort of bad news. But I don't know if I'm just a bit paranoid now with the government <laughs> and the BBC and Channel 4 and all the rest of it. So, you know, to me, I'm taking this as a, as a as victory for the producers until the next battle. Well, which which will be? Which will be some new battle starting probably tomorrow. Be, you know. Probably be the BBC and BBC Studios. Probably, you know. I, uh, it, I, actually, for us, it's it's slightly different. We we work with a lot of brands and we work with a lot of non-traditional broadcasters that therefore don't fit the, the, the classic terms of trade rules. So when we're making programmes, terms of trade actually means very little to us as a smaller, younger indie um, because we're making formats and programming that we're kind of giving away lock, stock and barrel to win those commissions that keep the company going and growing in the first instance. And I, I, th- I think that Channel 4 may have looked at the rest of the market and what's happening with things like Vice and things like Red Bull. I don't know what their, their, what their terms of trade are, but I'd argue they're not as favourable as, as what, the, what the rest of the market, what the traditional British TV market is. And more and more people are doing international stuff. And for Channel 4 to compete in 10 years' time they are going to need to look to see to have more favourable terms of trade. Because if you look at what ITV have done about buying up lots of very successful indies, Channel 4 are kind of a little bit late to that game with what they're doing with the indie funds. They need to find a new way of pumping up that revenue stream if advertising revenues continue to fall. Mm. So, it's, so you're broadly sympathetic? I'm not, I'm, not necess- I'm not necessarily sympathetic. What I'm saying is, is that we, in our, in our experience of being a younger production company that have gone out to 
find new customers that aren't traditionally broadcasters the bbc the itv channel 4 and kind of look for more international broadcasters in terms of trade hasn't been something that's naturally affected us and so i know you're saying kind of like are we popping champagne calls we're, we're a little bit like in terms of trade that looks complicated it's not something that we deal with it's not and that could be could we do music stuff so the rights to that is more complicated in its own in, in by definition because we have to get music clearance but but frankly when it comes to what are the people that we are working with, terms of trade just doesn't come into it, which is a shame. I'd love to be able to have secondary rights to some of the stuff that we make, but if it's up to, if it's against that or winning our first commission, it's going to be the latter. Do you do you recognise some of this having set up an indie in the last uh, month? I, I do. I mean, you know, we're very much in the sort of any any small indie is in a is in a supplicant role, you know, with every kind of bit of business and and everything. Um, Everything you're saying is correct, basically. But the problem with the terms of trade is that I think they are a little bit of a... They keep the, the networks away from us a bit. You know, networks are huge, hungry monsters. Little indies are tiny. You know, we're like little sort of innocent ducklings wandering around and the networks are like wolves. That's how I see it. You know, and that... You know, and they... You know, Channel 4 makes a lot of money. They're not struggling. They're a billion pound company. Billion pound, you know, that's we don't make a billion pound, do you? But there, but there are billion, <laughs> but there are billion pound indies. One day, and, and actually, actually, I wonder. This, I mean, this this may this may sound like an analogy too far, but this does feel like a, a middle class TV problem mm-hmm. because you've got the the massive super rich indies, which this doesn't affect because they're mm-hmm. they're outside terms of trade anyway because they're too big to apply, and then you've got the super small, the well, super small or smaller indies that actually look for work regardless of where they get it from, from brands, from new broadcasters, from new partners that that they can get in conversations with because the rest of the middle class conversations are, mm. are kind of sewn up by by the middle indies like and and so that are are affected by terms of trade and so actually i wonder how how broad this conversation is now and actually if it's if it's a little bit too too late mm, interesting mm. so we've had the bbc which seems to be you know if industry observers are to be believed reasonably in the clear terms of trade have been given a clean bill of health yeah. Channel 4 next? Well, let's put it this way. Will John Whittingdale risk another failure? Because if you want to look at his role in this, this is his two big battles and he's had to sort of, you know, uh, retire. So will he risk another one? Channel 4, if he takes on Channel 4... So do you think Channel 4 will be the swipe on his way down? I think think Channel 4... I mean, I'm hoping that Channel 4 is untouched. Because you either get the vengeance for the failure at the BBC, directed full force at the Channel 4, or he goes, you know what, let's leave TV just to get on with itself, which is what I'm really hoping. Because, you know, taking on TV wasn't a good idea. You know, nobody particularly is asking for the TV industry to be regulated outside of television. You know, the voters don't kind of phone in with complaints about TV and what the government should do about it. That's what I'm sort of, that's where I'm coming from. So I'm hoping that Whittingdale will, you know, get back to the rest of his job, the actual culture part of it. You know? Yes. You know, take on the Arts Council, sort out the, you know, the actors at the National Theatre, give them a, a spanking. You know, leave us middle class TV producers alone. <laughs> so Ron Jones, the chairman of uh, Tinopolis in broadcast this week, says that the whole of TV is a sort of delicate ecology. And if you mm. mess with one part of it, then you could risk messing up the whole system. Do you, do you buy into that? Do you yeah. think that it's that serious when it comes to terms of trade or Channel 4's future? I think that we are all really, really proud of our TV industry because it is damn good frankly and and we do very good internationally we do very good at coming up with new formats um and and it's actually a really prized 
part of our culture. And if you look at the press and, and how much that's been dragged through the mud in, in the recent years, and, and you know, you're true about things around the theatre industry and, and the kind of high arts industry, the, obviously governments come in for about four or five years and they, they try and do something to kind of change the, the, the kind of landscape around these sort of things. And, and they're generally unsuccessful. I mean, the, the past plan of doing local TV programming, I would argue, is, is almost been a complete failure. No one talks about it But anymore. is that just because it's not on the radar? I mean, I often no, think that. I mean, some of the local TV operators would argue that they're thriving in their in their markets. Not making any money. I don't know. I, no, I'm not defending Jeremy Hunt's decision to do local TV, but but it's, it's just shake, not but on the radar. Trying, but people are trying to shake it up and kind of the the suggestion was is that we should do local TV and we'll we'll make it Channel Six and it will be a completely complete revolution in the way that everybody watches mm. TV and, and we'll have more been. more local formats, etc., etc. And none of that's happened mm. because actually we've got quite a mature, well put together, mixed public service. TV industry in this country, and it does very, very well. So, so actually, when you try and tinker with it, like you said, it, it's there's there's too many moving parts to it to actually create something that's new and bold and, and more exciting than it, than already exists. Leave us alone. You've got my vote. <laughs> Good. Okay. Up next, uh, you may have heard of it. Yes, it's Top Gear. Uh, BBC Two's motoring franchise returned on Sunday with Chris Evans and Matt LeBlanc at the steering wheel. Uh, it was a bumpy ride for the geo, who suffered the slings and arrows of Twitter, uh, where many viewers harumphed over the reboot. Uh, the ratings weren't great either. 4.4 million viewers meant it was the lowest audience in a decade for a series launch. Uh, it also fell below Evans's target of 5 million. Uh, the presenter was quick to defend the performance, however, noting that Top Gear racked up 1.1 million iPlayer requests within less than 48 hours of it being posted online. Um, fact. fact. Yes, as he was saying on Twitter mm. in bold, fact. bold capitals. And then he, got uh, his, then he got it wrong, didn't he? He, he did put get it. That, that was a fact that was wrong and he got it the wrong way around, which is a bit like, <laughs> that, is, not that is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did we watch it, gentlemen? I watched a bit of it. And then you I, suffered a little bit. <laughs> I watched a bit. I watched the first sort of 10 minutes. I didn't like the initial opening in the studio. It felt very TFI, a little bit. Ugh. And it felt like he was trying too hard. That was the problem for me. I, I could feel the sort of awkwardness slash nervous energy. Um, so that it was, it, 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 there was a bit of a free side. Well, well, that's the thing. It, yeah. And so it just, it, I mean, it's, it, the problem I think is that this, this show is destined to fail no matter what happens because <laughs> the journalists were all sat there with their pens dipped in acid, ready to slag <laughs> it off. I mean, they were already writing the slag off shows before it finished. But, it um, you know, by, by episode three, we'll have a good idea. But, you know, the, the, Matt LeBlanc was good, looked good. Chris Evans looked a bit manic. I switched off and watched Antiques Roadshow. There were lots of good moments, I thought. I, you know what? I really, really genuinely wanted this to do well and be good. I, I think that having the, the story around why Clarkson was fired is, for me personally, I, I kind of felt almost weird about the fact that people were defending the fact that this is a guy that effectively physically assaulted one of his production team. And people were like kind of getting out on getting tanks on the BBC doorstep and kind of going, we need to save this man. It's a bit like, no, you don't. He like, he, this is something that we need to take really seriously, that people work very long hours and do very hard jobs to make television and they should be treated with a, at least a, a small level of respect and certainly not being beaten lack up. lack of violence. Exactly. It's, it's, and, and so actually I really wanted this to do well because I think that I, we've, I, I really wanted a, a sense that TV is better than one person and better than, than you know, these, these formats are, are, are bigger than, than just that one individual. And I think it's, it's a real shame that it didn't 
land and and there are some real significant flaws in it i think that there there are there are some major tweaks it's, it's not kind of case of episode three for me i think there are some big format changes that need to be made mm. to make this work and it's it's really difficult to get this right it's like do you make something that's completely different than what than what was there previously and then have the criticism of like oh this isn't top gear anymore or do you make something that's so close to the original it's a bit like oh so this tactical. is not it's, it's it's really really difficult but to isn't get that right. the point though that it should be a gentle evolution rather than a big bang. Yeah, and, and Chris Evans will know that, given his experience. But you can't have a gentle evolution when you have three presenters that have just been, you know, <laughs> ousted. <laughs> yeah, but and, isn't that enough? Is, seven know. presenters altogether, isn't it? But this, and it's actually, seven. but I, I actually think that this, that's one of the major problems that I really hope they do fix quite quickly because, unfortunately, it's become the Chris Evans show mm. with his mate Matt LeBlanc. Uh, Matt LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. been... <laughs> that's a different show that's that's different different talking about. It's, I'd it's, watch that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, but you know you have got all these other characters there and when Sabine came on screen actually it felt like it came alive a little yeah. bit more because here's somebody that that you didn't know that well and you don't have all of this baggage attached to them and so it's we, not Joey we from Friends we got a load of new presenters I mean it, possibly the show will feel different that opening uh, sort of prism was so jaundiced everybody was watching kind of with you know with one finger on Twitter ready to sort of tweet their displeasure so difficult to watch, to watch a show, you know, with a kind of unjaundiced eye. You know, I mean, I'm not a fan of Chris Evans, but he does need a little bit of a, of a bedding in period, even after 18 months of hype. I don't know if anybody saw Extra Gear on BBC. I want to say BBC Three. Is it on BBC Three anymore? BBC it is, Two. It's on BBC Three. It's on the BBC. Yeah. Is it BBC Three? Yeah, it's BBC Three. Okay, um, so it's it's not on. It's on iPlayer on BBC Three. It's somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, and it's really good. <laughs> like genuinely, it's like Rory and Rory and Chris did a really great job because they're people that you don't know and you can tell that they have a real genuine like enthusiasm and, and willingness for his, this to work. And I think that when Top Gear was announced with its new presenters and they did that thing where they were a bit where they were like look, you could be a presenter of Top Gear. Everybody got behind it all of a sudden because mm. it's the best job in television. And everybody was like, oh my God, this is really exciting. And then they gave the job to two mega celebrities that can afford all of those cars and probably do that at the weekend anyway. And you didn't get that sense that this is people having that excitement of this being the best job in the world. That Actually, I still think you got, even towards the end of Hammond, May and Clarkson, because it still felt like they were ordinary blokes that didn't normally drive those cars that had the best job in the world. And... Now you, you've lost that. You've just got two rich guys that are talking about their Ferraris. And I don't know how interesting that is. Matt LeBlanc was good, though. He is great. He is absolutely He got great. the tone right, I thought. Yeah, he because he didn't care. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's this, it's this he's balance good on VT. Between. Chris is good in the studio. Mm. Is he good the in the studio? It's really well, echoey he's... and Chris shouts really loudly <laughs> all the way through it. Does that make you good in a studio? I'm not sure. What do you I'm think? I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> you are trying very I'm hard. I'm trying very hard. I can see in your I'm face. I'm biting my lip and there's blood <laughs> dripping onto the mic. <laughs> on that... <laughs> On that image, shall what we? Bombshell, on that bombshell, shall we move on? Uh, finally, our commission of the fortnight. Uh, our accolade goes to BBC One, which has ordered a ninety-minute biopic on Dame Barbara Windsor. Uh, Babs, which it's is what it's called, uh, will be penned by former EastEnders writer and Red Planet Pictures founder Tony Jordan, who described Windsor as a national treasure. Stephen D. Wright. You have form. I have form. I'm an old friend of Babs. I did a documentary uh, on her back in, whenever it was, 2000, I think 2098, something like that. Anyway, and I basically told her story for the first time on TV and was so amazed at how good a story it was that I ran out of time in the edit. And I had to <laughs> ring up the BBC and say, is there any chance we can make this 40-minute show a longer show? And they were like, what do you mean? I said, well, it's got to 1963 and I've finished the show. 
I said, I haven't even got to the, the carry-ons yet. And they went, what? And her, her story is full of drama. It's full of sex. It's full of crime. It's full of fame. It's amazing. It's amazing. So this drama is going wi- to work. You cannot make up this stuff. It's such a good story. Tony's got 90 minutes. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, they might have to do an extra version. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I mean, it's a great little thing. And she is a, a, a British institution. I mean, that, that, was, that was what came across when, when I made it. This was before she had her, her on honours. What's that? Did she work with you on it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she, she basically opened up her sort of back bedroom which was like a, a a shrine to every. She's she's got all this stuff. And it was amazing because she's met everybody, she's done everything, she really has. She's and and she talks about it. She this is what she's exactly what you want in a kind of famous person, very friendly, very chatty. You know, she spoke about everything and she's done and been everywhere, um, and you know, it's an amazing life. So you'll be watching this. Then, God, yeah, can't wait. What about you, Faraz? Can I be a little bit morbid? I'm going to be a little <laughs> bit morbid. So I think that we're going to see a real glut of these. I think that there's going to be lots of very big biopics because the whole thing about, you know, I was deeply, and this is not even me being funny or weird, like I actually was genuinely quite affected by by Prince passing away. I was a massive fan. I've seen him live so many times. He was a big part of, of why I love music. And there's there were lots of articles written about how the reason that all these people feel like they're passing away in this period is because this is the period of showbiz. And we've now got to a point where Wogan, um, I'm obviously, I know that Barbara Windsor's still around, but, you know, the, but Scylla and Amy and all of these Victoria things. Victoria Wood. Probably is Victoria Wood. You know, we, we have got to a point now where they've got such great stories that people want them to be told. And I think that we'll see lots of these big sweeping biopics of, of the, you know, the, the grand masters of television um, appearing we, we had this a few years ago. We had um, Frankie Howard, Eric and Ernie. We had, all the, we had a lot of the sort of fifties and sixties stars, mm. and they they do have great stories. They make for good drama. You know, I mean, I I'm not so morbid as you. These people have lived incredible lives. Yeah. You know, possibly you know the Jerry Halliwell story will be amazing TV <laughs> in thirty years time. Do you know what I mean? It's not like great stories and showbiz disasters and tragedy and ego and all the rest of it will, will is dying yeah. out. You know, what I mean. These are good stories, yeah. full stop. I know, I absolutely agree, and I, I think that it's a um, that's that's the kind of key thing. I, I, more more often than not, when you're working in telly and you you get to that point, you've probably got some some pretty interesting stories. I know Stephen's got a few already, as we as we know. Yeah, when's the Stephen D. Wright biopic? Well, I, you know, I mean, I should tell you my Prince anecdote if I've got chance. You know? <laughs> got a great tell one. away. Will it upset me? No, no, no. It's a brilliant story. <laughs> no, I did a documentary with him. Did you? Did it get made? Did it get shown? Yeah, we did the first ever bit of him talking on TV after 15 years of silence. So what's your, what's your anecdote? Oh, no, it's a long one. He went on The Big Breakfast, did he? No, no. no, it was when I was doing the Sunday show. Okay. And the presenter was friends with, uh, with Prince. And so Prince used to ring her. I was looking after her, you know, the presenter, Veronica Webb. And um, she would, he, Prince would ring her like five in the morning when he finished rehearsing. And she convinced him to come on the show. And so suddenly we changed everything because Prince was available. And he came on our first show. Fantastic. And it was just, in, it was just insane. This week of madness that I went through because he literally, he makes phone calls at four or five in the morning. That's when he's, that's when he's chatting. And so, you'd, you know. And then you'd be, Isn't that what Cal does as well? Who? Simon Cowell. Yeah, well, he's on LA time, of course. But, Are you um, yeah. genuinely comparing Simon Cowell to Prince? <laughs> Is that what's happening on this so podcast? I knew now? at some point you'd take offence to something I was going to say about Prince. The Simon uh, Cowell drama is definitely worth waiting for. I'd love to see that see, one he's, in 20 years I was, I was trying to think of uh, Who could equivalent be um, listen, stars Every big star, if they're a proper star, has been through the mill. 
has had sexual drug rock and roll allegations. All of this stuff happens because that's what showbiz is like. Cal's got Hollywood, though, written all over it, hasn't it? That's not going to be a BBC One think, job, is it? Well, no. What you want is you want a BBC Two or BBC Four kind of, you know, the warts and all type story because these people have amazing lives, you know, and, and especially if you're involved in rock and roll. Rock and roll is even more insane. Mm. You know, that's the thing. That's when it really is sex, drugs and rock and roll. I mean, it's incredible. And so when people talk honestly about this stuff, it blows your socks off, you know, because we never get we never get the truth about these things until they're dead. And it, it, you know what? There's a reason they have magnetism on screen. There's a reason for that. You want to watch them. You want to hear their stories. And, and I, th- I think it's a great thing. And I, I, you know, looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good show. Fantastic. Those are your headlines. Thanks to Stephen and Faraz. Previews time now, and Stephen D. Wright and Faraz Osman are still with me on the Talking TV sofa. Uh, this week, we're primed and ready to delve into a couple of offerings from BBC Four. First up is the UK's best part-time band, a wall-to-wall format in which comedian Rod Gilbert travels the country in search of the UK's best part-time band. It's the Ron Seal of TV shows. Uh, in this clip from the first episode, Rod is joined by Midge Ur to judge the talents of Scottish ska band Bombscare. What makes a good ska? What, what, you know, what are we looking out for when you watch a ska band? Well, you know, I suppose, you know, from the two-tone days, it was, uh, there was a look about it. There was a, there was a vibrancy about it. It was real bouncy, tight playing. I'm looking for something that's a bit of joy. He's not walking like an Egyptian. Scott, Bombsky's lead guitarist, can be found delivering meat. Like a Scotsman. <laughs> I enjoyed this. I did as well. I, I wasn't I didn't think it was gonna be fun, but actually it was it was it was really funny and, and I think the, the Rod's gimmick a lot of, of fun, isn't it? I think well the, him and him and Midjour was, was really quite fun on its own. And then all these bands, that there was there was a lack of ego, there was a lack of the pretension. Plus, there was a lack of that crushing X Factor sort of bullshit. You know, and it actually felt like these people were into music. They felt it felt very life affirming. You know, and um, it was really enjoyable and very funny. I mean, Mitchell told a fantastic line about Bob Geldof that was worth waiting for. You know, I won't spoil it now, but it was it was it was great TV. I really enjoyed it. Can I, can I say all the things that I don't like about it and uh, then go on why it's such a great show? <laughs> I, the, the format's weird. So it's like they go and see five bands and then four of them make it through or something like that. Two. So it's a bit like, no, but like they go, and they go and visit like five or six bands and then he has to pick five of them. So it's like you don't really get a sense of the competition element of it. And so the format of how the the show the, the kind of competition you're not sure about how it's structured yeah then that that kind of fell short for me. Um, I'm a bit disappointed there are no female judges in it whatsoever. So it's turned into a bit of a lads on tour going to see lots of bands. And I think it would have been nice to at least have one female kind of having a voice about what they think. It was, it was quite blokey. It yeah, was quite blokey. It's like blokes going to see female bands. It's like yeah, but like they at least give a female a female an opinion on what what's good music. And then the third thing, and this will irritate anybody that watches it from now on, I do not get this, but they blurred out 
Midge's jacket logo. And it's a tiny logo on his jacket. The whole thing had it blurred out. And it just, it's one of those things that you spot as a TV producer. It irritates you for the rest of the time. It's like, why have you done that? It's like, it's completely that unnecessary. See, and so when you start seeing something Dusty like that, it BBC it. editorial tone exactly. somewhere. Exactly. And it's like, just stop messing around. There's so many things that you could be spending that money on. It's so look, clearly a low budget thing. I was thing. up dancing and enjoying and thinking, chill out. You're sitting there going, I'm writing a letter to the BBC yeah, to just, complain oh, about that, excessive... That me up. However, all of that aside, How, this is a massive. However, but. all yeah. of that aside, it is brilliant. It's a really, really good oh, show. Finally. It's really, it is really fun. They, you really get a sense of this is what's going on in the UK right now. All of that sort of stuff that kind of tells you about what Britain looks like today. That everybody kind of is really into it. The whole thing about the passion of the music and they're doing it for the love of the music. Mm. You really root for all of them, regardless if they win or lose. Um, you know, it would have been nice if the BBC kind of were like, we're the BBC, so you're going to get on Jules Holland or you're going to get onto a BBC introducing stage at Reading and Leeds. Listen, mm. I, I think your, your complaint about the format is actually nonsense because the format, <laughs> you don't... No, it doesn't really matter about the format because that exactly what you're saying is good about it yeah. is what comes across. The competition element is, is sort of, so what? What we're actually getting is an insight into these people. So I have the pretense. Exactly, that's well, what I mean. No, no, no. Because you sort, it sort of does make some sense. Otherwise, it's, you know, mid-year meets people. Do you know what I mean? And, and Rod Gilbert. But the, the competitive element gives it a little bit of a narrative, a little bit of a grammar. But it's very much a sort of soft thing because you don't need to know. When those bands don't win at the end, they don't, they're not crushed. They've enjoyed actually being taken seriously for a bit. They've enjoyed that little brief oxygen of publicity because they, they are doing it for the love. Yeah. You know, and that's what's, that's what's, what's so, so joyful as a viewer. And, and it felt fresh, actually, for something that you think is the most tired sort of of all formats, the music talent show or whatever. This actually felt really fresh. And I didn't miss the sort of female thing. I mean, I, I mean, possibly you're more PC than I am. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still with the kids. I'm, I, you know, I actually enjoyed it. And I thought Midjour was a good fun. They for were once. Great. And You know, I mean, he's never been this much fun in 40 odd years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Rod is brilliant. Like, he yeah. really, really shines through with this. And, and he should be really applauded all the way through it. genuinely funny. You know what like, I mean? It's an actually fun. It's like a comedy show yeah. almost. Well, and you kind no, of go no, back to the, our, our chat about Top Gear earlier. You know, one of the big failings about Top Gear is that the script feels really forced and it feels really um, staged and, and this just feels like Rod is out there to have a really good time meeting doing something that he really loves and, and it's just a really fun watch as a result Rod Gilbert for Top Gear then yeah I wouldn't put it past it I think it's a good idea well that, that would be a better booking definitely. oh I thought it was a joke no, well, why no I, think we, I think we start <laughs> tweeting that now it delivers and it's good it's <laughs> you know. good all right. Well, you heard it here first Woo! on Talking TV. Yeah? All right. <laughs> UK's best part-time band launches on the 3rd of June at 9pm on BBC4. Finally, this episode, we sample a little more slow TV in the shape of Handmade by Royal Appointment. The four-part show follows last year's series Handmade, and it marks the Queen's 90th birthday by inspecting the craftsmanship of companies with a royal warrant. The first episode starts at Wedgwood, where we are shown how the famous Black Panther vase is made. In this clip, a brand expert has been called in to turn the company from pottery maker to an experience. What we do need now is to probably get a bit of the dust away from the Wedgwood image, make sure that also the younger audience understand the craftsmanship that we do. I see this brand very much going into more of an English or British lifestyle brand. Come on in, Maya. Yes. Have a seat. This new Wedgwood will be about more than just cups and saucers. It will be a lifestyle experience. Scarves. Okay. This so, is yeah. amazing. Have we looked at the logo placement here? Uh, not yet. I've seen this. What is this? Chocolate. <laughs> chocolate. Okay. Wedgwood chocolate. But of course, life is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, as Zoe Wanamaker might say, is slow TV a lifestyle experience? <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed this. I think it was. I think it was nice. Um, it was. It was very watchable, as slow TV goes. There are. There are one. They're trying to do one too many things in it. So it wasn't uh, very slow. Yeah, and well, they tried to speed it up and then slow it down, and mm. and it's a bit bits like we'll just pick a slow. pace. <laughs> Pick, pick I like those bits. No, no, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Those bits work really well, and then I was annoyed when they started to speed it up again. Yeah, and and they were chatting in the, in, you know, the, the interviews that didn't really say much and didn't really go anywhere. And it's, it's, I think that they were trying to tell too many stories within this, and so none of them really quite landed. I mean, how much was that for? Did they ever say? They go on about the four thousand pounds. Did yeah. they say that? Okay, yeah. maybe I missed that bit. Although but... I found it online for two and a half grand. <laughs> so, Bargain. Yeah. Oh, so you, well, you were inspired. Someone, someone's inflating the facts. Wedgewood knockoff. But um, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I think that those slow TV things are really good. What, what I think is really good about this is there's a there's a trend for like looking at factories and GE did a did an ad, a viral ad campaign looking at all of their kind of factories where they put loads of steady cams in there and and intervalometers on time lapses and it's actually really cool to watch and there were bits of that in this where you just kind of saw these vases being slowly mm. made and it's it's very it's kind of quite visceral and you you really want to stick with it but it's the kind totally, of i found it totally yeah, it's hypnotizing. hypnotizing it's yeah. absolutely hypnotizing it, it was it, i just sort of i was like oh which is why it's I'm great it. for yeah, late just, night. It's like meditation TV. Yeah. It was, you know, watching that machine it cuts out little sections. Yeah. And then you go, oh, I'm just going to do that again. I was sort of like, com- com- like staring at the screen. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to learn anything. It's like I don't even know how to do it. But it was so so watchable. I mean, TV isn't normally this kind of uh, sort of uh, compulsive, you know. But you're right. The, the, the bits where they suddenly went to the tea shop and whatever, it was a bit like, Oh, we're back into a kind of one-show type report, you know. Yeah. But it could, it would have been better had they just shown that pot. I mean, obviously, we got all that, but um, no. I mean, I'll I'll watch the next one. You know, what, is, what are the other ones? Do you know? The next one's on shoes, for example. As they're doing John Lobb shoes, and then they, I can't remember what the next one. I'm glad you're is. with us, Stephen, because I don't know. Um, <laughs> a professional, <for laughs> yeah, God's a professional sake. is in the room. But I, have they have they lost their nerve a little bit? Because the first series of Handmade was much more sort of purist didn't have this more obdocky feel to it uh, and just followed the creation of an object from the start to finish yeah. maybe it's yeah. it's a difficult it's a difficult thing i think because you've you've got some really good stories there the wedgwood story is a story that actually is quite interesting because everybody knows what wedgwood is but it's a bit like is it still around anymore what's it about anymore so the kind of stories about it becoming a tea shop and becoming an experience and then outsourcing all of the the, the labor to to other countries those are all really interesting human like stories that you you feel like you want to tell but then you've got to either go really that in that direction and double down and say that's what this show's about or you need to kind of go no 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 this is about pottery and we're going to make a show about handmade pottery and that's what it's about and so it kind of tried to do both and it it does just work but it it does teeter on the edge fell between two stalls mm. i mean we'd be very nitpicky here you know what well, I, mean? I think we, we are, are. You know, it was fun. I enjoyed this. Uh, you know, I enjoyed watching it. I didn't think I would. But the artisan you know. potters of the TV reviewing world. <laughs> 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 you know. Big thumbs up to BBC4 this week, then. A big thumbs up for BBC4. Yeah. Go BBC4. Four. Four. You you no, 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 I, I, was, I was obviously, you get, you, I, I think I emailed you back when you sent your reviews. <laughs> yes. for it. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be a snore fest. But actually, <laughs> it was, um, it was good, you know, good, two strong, enjoyable films. Good. Handmade by Royal Appointment starts on the 6th of June at 8.30pm. Uh, it is made in-house at the BBC. 
Okay, that's your lot for what is my penultimate edition of Talking TV. Uh, Yes, I'm leaving broadcast later this month, so we'll bid you farewell next episode. Until then, thanks to my guests, Faraz Osman and Stephen D. Wright. Thanks to you lot for listening as well. If you like what you've heard, why not subscribe on iTunes or give us a shout out on Twitter. We'd love your endorsement. I'm Jake Cantor and the producer is Matt Hill. Goodbye. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 